Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts chapter 22. I was talking to a fellow in our community the other day, and I, I, I gave him a book, and uh, the book was A Purpose Driven Life, and uh, on the front of that book, there's a question in the, or a statement and the statement uh, or the question said, what on earth am I here for? As soon as he took the book, he read that, that question and he said, you know, I've been asking myself that question since, I've been 12, since I was 12 years old. I've always wanted to know what I'm here for. You know, why, why am I here? Well, I'd like to talk to you today about fulfilling our purpose. To me, one of the greatest things in all the world is to know that life has purpose. You know, we're just not getting up, going to work coming home, getting tired, get, getting some sleep, getting up the next morning. And, and, but there's something deeper than that. There's something more meaningful than that. The Apostle Paul uh, is a, a picture of a person who is fulfilling his purpose. And I direct your attention this morning to chapter 22, verse 1. He's giving a defense right here uh, for his uh, conduct before a group of people that have falsely accused him of taking uh, Gentiles into the temple beyond the court of the Gentiles. And uh, they nearly killed him. And uh, the Roman authorities stopped them. And uh, in the midst of it all, he said, listen, I'd like to speak to this crowd. I am a speaker. I have something to say. And so this is his address right here in chapter 22. Brethren and fathers, Hear my defense before you now. Every time I see the word defense, I think of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with humility and respect. Uh, we are to defend our position. And that's what Paul says. Listen, don't, uh, I, I know you Roman soldiers, you're protecting my life here from this mob. But, uh, but listen, I want to get up and I want to defend my position. And so he's making this defense. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Uh, they thought he was uh, a rebel rouser in town, actually Egyptian. And they, they didn't know that he was a Jewish person. And so when he got up, he began to speak to them in Hebrew and they were kind of taken back. And they certainly got everybody's attention. And he begins to list who he really is. And he said, listen, I want you to know who I am, first of all. He said, I am indeed a Jew. I was born over here in Tarsus of Colicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. For those of you who know a little bit about history, Gamaliel was the preeminent leader of the, uh, the Jewish council. A tremendous reputation of being a teacher of the law. He says, listen, I've, I've gone to the school of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers. In other places, uh, it says that he was a Pharisee, and you can't get any stricter than that. He said, I, I've, I've been taught all the uh, strictness of the law, the Torah, and uh, was zealous toward God as, as you are today. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, I know you think you're doing this for God. Uh, I did that too one time. He said, I persecuted this way, 
And I'd like for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, this would be the thing to underline right here, this way, because that was the name of the early church, the church of the way. Uh, to the death, binding and delivering into the prison both men and women. He says, this is what I was doing. I was zealous and I thought I was doing the right thing and so I was going out here arresting people, throwing them into prison. And as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains uh, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. He said, I was... Uh, a self-ordained persecutor of the church. And I believe that these people who constituted the early church were worthy to be persecuted. And now he gives his conversion story. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. How many times have you talked to people and they said, you know, I've seen the light. You know, I've been in darkness, but boy, when the, when the Lord comes into their life, the light comes on, Right. It's just like, wow, I see, the, you know, I, I see the same things I saw before, but boy, there's a brand new light on it all. And so he says, a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, as you know, this was a surprise to him, because everybody thought Jesus was dead. Everybody thought that they killed him. And it was just a, a false rumor that he was resurrected and alive. And so Jesus came to shatter the rumor. And he says, listen, listen, Saul, I'm alive. And so I answered and he said, who are you, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to him. So I answered, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed. For you to do. I love that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? I, 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 I can't refer to this enough in the church. Uh, I think that uh, we should be always asking the Lord that. When we get up in the morning, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Uh, as we go out through the day, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just show me. I'm, I'm available. Just show me. And that's what Paul said, Lord, you just give me the direction and I'll go with it. And in verse 11, he says, And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus, and there a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Now, remember, he's talking to Jewish people here. And uh, every time he mentions that word, uh, they perk up. He says, According to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you. And that's interesting. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., chose you so that you would know his will and see the just one who hears the voice of his mouth. To know the will of God. Uh, to know the purpose for our existence. That's what God called Paul for. For you will be his witness to all men of what you, what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, Saul didn't want to miss an opportunity to speak up for Christ. You know, if you and I were in this situation, we'd be, we'd be running as fast as we can the opposite direction. But he said, listen, I know these people want to kill me out there, but see, uh, before, 
I just want to speak to them because that's why I came to this town. I am a speaker for God. I am a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't want to waste this crisis. Uh, I want to be able to speak to all these people. John 10.10 is kind of a, a, a verse we can launch from this morning. Let's read this together, okay? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Whenever I read the last portion of this verse, the Lord says, this is, this is why I came. I came to give you eternal life, number one. Jesus just didn't come down to earth to show us a pattern for living, although that's a wonderful pattern that he showed us. Uh, he just didn't do that. He came to give us eternal life. Because every, every single person that you know is passing very quickly through life. Very quickly. And one of these days, very soon, every single person in this room will be in eternity. Somewhere. Either in heaven or in hell. And so God sent his son into the world... Uh, to be good news for people that they don't have to go to hell. Jesus took uh, our punishment upon the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And so I, whenever I read this verse, I've come that you might have life, I, I like to read it eternal life. Because, you know, you can have the best life that this world has to offer. And the Bible says, what shall, uh, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a tragedy. I've come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I believe that refers to purpose in life. Uh, you know, I know that our purpose is to do a good job, fathers uh, for families and mothers for families. That's, that's a big purpose, and that takes a lot of your life to do that, you know, that with your children working. That's one of your purposes. Um, but, uh, but there's a deeper purpose, and that's to know the will of God for your life. And that's to walk in the will of God. And, you, you know, you can never be so at peace with yourself to know that at the end of the day that you can look in the mirror and say, listen, I, as far as I know, I've done the will of God with my life today, and I feel good about that. I feel God is pleased with me. And so he, Jesus said, this is why I've come, to give you eternal life. And, and I don't want to pass this opportunity up to say this. You can face anything in life if you know where you're going when you die. You can face anything this world throws at you. Uh, to know that, listen, somebody can't threaten me with death. Actually, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Uh, because I believe what the Bible has to say is true. Uh, that, uh, that heaven is a pretty great place. And it's a whole lot greater than anything this world has to offer. And so uh, Paul is experiencing the purpose of God. Luke twelve eleven is a, is a, is something else, and we have that back there, don't we? Do we have that verse? Luke twelve eleven. Do we have that, Chuck? No, we don't. Okay. Okay. The the verse says there that our life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we have. Uh, life, uh, the greatest thing in life is not what you have; it's who you know. Uh, it's the assurance that you have in your heart if you die and go to heaven. Uh, you could be the poorest person in all the world, but if you are rich toward God, uh, you are rich. You have great riches. The Apostle Paul is out there, and you know we read his life and we stand by and we ask ourselves, why would a person make so many sacrifices that he did? 
Well, it's because he was living in the purpose of God. It was because he was fulfilling the purpose of God. And he could lay his head on the pillow or wherever he laid his head and know that he had done God's will for that day. One of the things that drove him was the commission of the council in Acts chapter 15. Remember, they were trying to figure out what salvation really was. Paul had it figured out. He just wanted it clarified by everybody. Because people came and they said, uh, listen, uh, we believe that uh, you you can't just be saved by trusting in Jesus alone. You had to be saved uh, also by keeping the law, by being a Jew. And Paul said, that can't be right. And so they went together and they had this council. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. And they came to the conclusions, Paul, you're right. Uh, You know, you're saved just through faith in Jesus. Um, but as you go out in your ministry, I want you to do, I want you to do a few things. Uh, I want you especially to remember the poor. And that's what drove Paul. Paul went out into the world with this embedded in his mind that it was his job to remember the poor. And so he made several trips back to the poor, which those people lived in Jerusalem. And actually what Peter was saying is, remember us, because we have all these people in Jerusalem and we're running out of money to help feed them. And so when you're going out on your missionary journeys, I know there are people out there that have money. I want you to send some of that back to us. Remember the poor. And so a lot of times people don't realize that Paul was an evangelist. Uh, He was an apologist, uh, but he was a fundraiser, too. And when you look to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and uh, you'll see there that uh, wherever he went, he said, listen, I, I, I want you to give an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the thing that got him in trouble right here is that he was bringing an offering back for, to Jerusalem to the saints, and he wouldn't be dissuaded. They said, listen, you don't want to do that now. They don't like you there. They're going to kill you when you go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, okay, it's okay with me. But I need to get this money back to Jerusalem. And so that's, that's where we find him here. Uh, our first point today is this. When he gets up to make his defense after they nearly killed him, uh, he talks about his connections. He was well connected. His pedigree. He said, listen, I'm a Jew. I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. I'm from Tarsus. And that's his appeal to the um, Hellenistic Jews. He said, listen, uh, I I know what that is. I was born in Tarsus. And then I was brought up in Jerusalem, and and that was the more strict of the Jews. He's trying to to connect with all these people. I was taught by Gamaliel, the most celebrated rabbi of the day. Uh, In addition to that, I'm a Pharisee. And, and, uh, and what this defense is all about is he's trying to lay the, the foundation here to say that this charge which they brought against me of taking a Gentile into the temple can't be true because I, above all people, have kept strictly the, uh, the customs and the traditions of the law, and I would never do anything like that. Just look at who I am. Uh, he had the right connections. Uh, And then he began to talk about his past life. Uh, This was the Paul they once knew and wished that he had continued that way. He said, I was a persecutor of the way. Actually, he was the leading persecutor of the way. Uh, He went uh, into these synagogues, and it was there in the synagogue that he actually beat people uh, for their faith in Christ, these Jewish Christians. Uh, 
This is referred to in Matthew 10:17. Let's read this. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. This is a warning by the Lord. This is what's going to happen to you, and that's exactly what did happen. Uh, Paul went out and he went to the synagogues, and right in the synagogues, uh, they scourged these people who claimed to be Christians. Uh, they, he, was, he was out after the people of the way. I can't miss this opportunity today uh, to put up on the screen one of my favorite verses, John 14, 6. Let's read it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why did they call the early church the way? It's because all the Christians went out everywhere saying, listen, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, and they, they said, Oh, they're the people of the way. Um, you know, we're still people of the way, aren't we? And we still go out today, and, and that's one of my favorite verses. When people say to me, you know, you, know, you can just go to heaven any way you want to, all the roads lead to, and, and I say, listen, there's only one way to heaven, and that just, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through Jesus. I think this is one of the most oft-quoted verses of the church. Uh, well, what he was explaining is, uh, is his past life. He persecuted the church. Uh, his loyalty to Judaism. And, and I think that probably about this time in the speech, probably some people in that crowd were saying, hey, he didn't do this. He didn't take any Gentiles into the, temp into the temple. He wouldn't do that. He's one of us. But... Uh, in order to be totally honest, he turned the conversation and he began to talk about his conversion. And, and that's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. You know, he, uh, he had one life and then he had another life. And that's like some of you in this church this morning. You had a life before Christ and then you have a life after Christ. And, and I've heard you refer to me to the other life as that's my other life. That's the other life I used to have. And so, and so he had these people going in the right direction, and then he, then he turned the conversation, and he told them about his conversion. He said, I got these arrest warrants, and I went after these people. Now, what do we do with a person like Saul of Tarsus? What does the church do with him? You know, if there was somebody on the scene today that was dragging people out of our church arresting them with the hopes that they could be killed, how would we treat that person today? Well, I think this is how they treated him in, in his day. I think that they prayed for him, for his salvation, and I think that they tried to teach him that Jesus was the way from the Old Testament. And uh, because, uh, as bad as he was, he was not beyond the reach of the grace of God. Always remember this. No matter how bad a person may be, they are not out of reach of the grace of God. God can reach down and he can touch the heart of the person who is farthest away from him and bring that person up close and personal. 1 Timothy 2.4, let's read it. Who desires all men to be saved 
and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire for everyone. You look at somebody and you say, this person is too hard. This person is too bad. They're so wicked. You know, we don't have this much grace. And we don't have this much forgiveness. But God does. And this is his statement. He desires all men. Let's say that together. He desires all men, everybody you know, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3.9 is another good one. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, and so they zeroed in on Saul of Tarsus, and they said, listen, we're going to pray for his salvation. And on the road to Damascus, the arrester was arrested by Jesus, to his utter surprise. It all came together for him in quite a dramatic way. Uh, he talks about his conversion here in just a few words, but he was arrested by Jesus. I remember one time when I was uh, living in uh, Sherman, Texas, and I was kind of running away from the Lord. But, uh, you know, you can't run away from the Lord very effectively. And uh, one guy said to me one time, you know, John, you're not fast enough to outrun God. And they were exactly right. And so Paul was the arrester. He was going to go to Damascus to arrest Christians to persecute them, but instead he was arrested by Jesus. And here's the cool thing. As much as we want to see people come to Christ today, Jesus wants to see them come to him more than we want to see that. And Jesus is on the hunt for sinners. You know that? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, and he's looking for them. Philippians 3.12 is a good verse. Let's read this. That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Uh, He says, listen, my new goal in life is to find out why Jesus arrested me. That's my new goal. That's going to be my goal from here on out. Uh, He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to arrest those Christians. And all of a sudden, Jesus reached down and that bright light came upon him. And he fell to the ground. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, my goal is to find out why Jesus arrested me. And I hope that's your goal in this church today. Why did Jesus save you? Why did he look down in the corner of your little world and pour out his grace on your soul? Why did he do that? There's a reason. And so Paul said, this is my passion. I've got got to find out fully why Jesus arrested me on the road to Damascus. Well, he saw this light from heaven, and Jesus said in John 8, 12, let's read it. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Boy, it's, it's great to walk in the light, isn't it? It's no fun to walk in the darkness. The light is a wonderful thing. And boy, when, when Jesus puts the light on your soul, life really becomes worth living. It does. And so Jesus appeared to him as the light, and uh, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Uh, You know, so many things were coming together for Paul. They really were. Um, I think that as Paul was arresting these Christians, they were teaching him that there are two streams of ancient prophecy in the Old Testament. 
the stream of the suffering servant and the stream of the conquering king. And they closed, for years, he closed his ears to the suffering servant. He didn't want to hear it. Who wants a suffering servant? Who wants that? Probably nobody. They all wanted the conquering king. But Jesus came, first of all, to conquer the worst enemy. And that's sin, that's hell, that's death. And, uh, and so he, he put the big thing first. And he came as a suffering servant. Isaiah 53. I'm, we're just going to look at it, this for about three minutes, okay? Let's, let's read and we'll stop along the way. Uh, I think that, you know, Jesus used this on the road to Emmaus on the day of, of, uh, of his resurrection. He went into the Old Testament and he taught these people, listen, don't you recognize me? I, I, I was portrayed in the uh, Old Testament 700 years before Christ came. The scripture says this. Let's read it. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. And we'll stop right there. We thought his troubles. How many people went by the cross and said, listen, he deserves to die. God is punishing him for his sins. Now, for those of us who knew who Jesus really was, the Bible says he knew no sin, he did no sin, he was without sin, he was God in the flesh. And so he wasn't dying upon the cross for his sins, he was dying upon the cross for our sins. Every single sin you've ever committed, Jesus died upon the cross for your sins. And that's so wonderful. That is so wonderful. A number of years ago, a guy came into my office. He was about 45 years of age. He says, you know, I just have to get right with God. His mother had been a Christian for many years, but he had resisted her encouragement. But finally, he came to grips with it. He said, I want to get right with God. And I said, well, how bad do you want to get right with? He said, I want to get real bad. I want to get right with God. And I said, well, let's just kneel here in the office and together. And we both got down on our knees. And he called out to God and he said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you so many times, I can't even think of it. Uh, I've broken all your laws. I'm wicked. And he began to cry. And he said, God, would you just forgive me? I'm sorry. Whew. You know, when he did that, he got back up and he stood up and he says, you know, he said, I feel like a new man. He said, all of that weight that I've been carrying around all of these years is gone in a moment of time. Just like that. He gave it to Christ. The only thing that Jesus wants from you is your sins. That's it. 
You know, you can't, uh, he does, he's not impressed with your good works. Because the Bible says all your good works are trash in his sight. He just wants your sins, that's all. And if you get honest with God and you just surrender your sins to him, he'll forgive you and he'll give you the righteousness of Jesus and you'll be like that guy in my office. Uh, you can unload it all and you can walk in the light and you can have a brand new life through Jesus because he's the way. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'd like to encourage you to do that right now. Just get honest with God and say, boy, I can identify with the guy that came to your office. I'm like him. Of course, we're all like him. Every single person in this room is like him. But you have to come to the place that you want Jesus more than you want your sin. Are you at that place today? You're ready to surrender to the love of God and let him cleanse you and save you by his grace. Just in your own words there, not out loud, but in your heart, just call out on Christ. Lord, forgive me. Save me. I'm sorry. I've broken your law. I've offended you. I'm lost. I'm separated from your love, and I'm hurting a lot of people in the process. If you'll forgive me, I'll, I'll live for you. I'll be your follower. I'll be a changed person. I can't change myself, but I know you can change me. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for, for your word, the Bible. I pray now that as we uh, come to this concluding hour and this invitation, I pray that you'll move in the hearts of the people here in the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.